on May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. Visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. And just like that, we're back. Another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. It is, let's check the eye, Josh, here. Uh, allegedly, it's Thursday morning, May 13th. I'm pretty sure it's the year of our Lord, 2021. And I'm definitely sure we got such a loaded mailbag this morning that we have questions that have overflowed from about a week prior. Luckily, they're still relevant today. So I'm going to fit as many in as possible. I know we stretched Tuesday morning with, um, you know, some stories that may or may not have tied into college football. But I'm not apologizing because the feedback I got from the storm chasing story in Tuesday's pod, overwhelming. And it was all positive. I think there was one guy who said stick to football. And to you, sir, I just apologize. And that's why I kicked it to the end of the podcast. But by now, and based on the feedback you guys have given me, I got a pretty good idea of what you're looking for. So I like to mix in some flavor. You know, that's an industry term, some flavor. Otherwise, you never would have heard that word before. So here's how to submit a question if you want to jam pack it into this podcast or future podcast. JoshPate706 at gmail.com. You can reach me the same way if you want to book a Zoom consultation. Really loading up this next week of those, by the way. Also, the Instagram account. We're trying to get that thing as fat as we can by the time Media Days rolls around, really, because that's when I'm going to start pushing some stuff there that you have not seen yet. It's going to be fun. It's going to be very, very eye-opening, very peel-back-the-curtain-y, a lot of stuff that you otherwise would not have seen I'm going to be able to give you there. This is the kind of stuff that maybe management doesn't want me showing on our main broadcast. And so if we can hide it over there in the Instagram account, oh, maybe they won't see it. So at Late Kick Josh, that's how you can find me there. It's the same on Twitter, at Late Kick Josh. Those accounts, I'm just, again, it helps me, obviously. So selfishly, I want them to be as big as possible. But it's going to greatly help the show. And it's going to immediately serve you the bigger those accounts are. It's kind of incentivizing us to be able to do more things and to get a yes to do more things. So I keep saying that in kind of a guarded way. Um if you can read through the lines, you know what I'm telling you. So it's up to you to make it happen. At Late Kick Josh. All right, let's dive in because I've got a lot of questions to get to. I'm going to get to as many as possible this morning. I'm going to let Joe kick us off. Joe said, I was thinking about it. And doesn't it seem like coaches are sometimes loyal to a quarterback or other players to a fault? I feel that this has been the case in the past with Georgia and presently with Penn State, among other examples. Joe, I think this is possible. Yes. I do think it's a little more complicated, but sometimes not as complicated. Sometimes it's just on the surface, like you said. But independent of Penn State, because I'm not sure how I feel about that, Clifford's the assumed starter because he's been there like 24 years at this point. And I don't know that there is a definitive better option there. But at Georgia, you're referring to Justin Fields. And that looks bad now. And to some people, it looked bad at the time. And like I've said about this whole situation before, if you're unfamiliar, by the way, let me take you back. So Justin Fields is on campus. You know who that is now. But some of you, if you don't follow recruiting, you didn't know that name back then. He was a five-star quarterback, came out the same class as Trevor Lawrence, same state. They were both from around Atlanta. Georgia landed Justin Fields initially. But they had Jake Fromm on campus too. Now, again, if we're putting on our revisionist glasses, that pales in comparison to what Justin Fields is. Correct. Keyword is today. 
using revisionist history or having the full perspective of history now, you understand one doesn't quite compare to the other, does he? Well, at the time, what did we have? We had Jake Fromm, who had been pressed into starting duty, I think when Jacob Eason went down. And remember how this whole thing unfolded. They went to Notre Dame because I was at that game. I was on. I was up in South Bend for that one, and it was Jake Fromm's first start. He's pressed into action as a true freshman, and they never looked back. They went on to win the SEC championship. They had a hiccup against Auburn, but they atoned for it in the SEC title game. Keep in mind what we're setting up for here. Okay, Now we know the entire context. So Jake Fromm, as a true freshman, is the starting quarterback that wins the SEC championship. They go play Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl instant overtime classic. They beat Oklahoma. They go to the national championship game. Jake Fromm, there's no other way to put it, plays good enough to have Georgia in a position to win the national championship as a true freshman. Tua Tungavailoa, second 26 happened. You remember how it ended. But the point is, in 2018, when you're coming off that year, now it's easy to look back and say, oh, Justin Fields was still the better quarterback. But at the time, I just want you to remember what you would have been asking Kirby Smart to do. That true freshman that just took you to within inches of doing something Georgia hasn't done in generations, you're going to bench him to play a guy that has not played meaningful football for you. It sounds easy once you know how it turned out. I'm just telling you, your job was never on the line making that decision. Kirby Smart's was. So I know, again, for like the fifth time, that looking back, it's easy to say, oh, they let Justin Fields get away. They let they let the better quarterback walk. Well, as it turns out, yeah. And according to star ranking, yeah, he was. But you've seen five-star quarterbacks flame out before. So the star rating alone wasn't definitive proof that Justin Fields was going to end up becoming what he became. But here's what I did the other day. I did some digging on this and I asked around because now that the dust has settled, you can get people to be a little bit more open than they may have been at the time. And I asked, Hey, just give it to me. What was the true story? What was the whole story with Justin Fields? Basically, here's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for this giant red herring. I'm looking for validation that, oh, maybe there was this big hidden issue that was never made public. You know, maybe there was a secret off-field incident that you never heard about that heavily weighed into the decision to not do this or not play him there. But there really wasn't that. What it was, was Justin Fields and Jim Chaney, keep in mind, the offensive coordinator there at the time. Justin Fields, according to that staff, just did not possess the ability to grasp that playbook quickly enough to challenge for the starting job. And it's really that cut and dry, according to them. Now, from there, let me put a period on the end of that story. From there, I know someone's sitting there in their cubicle right now, just past lunch, and you may be thinking to yourself, or maybe someone's on the riding lawnmower in the middle of Osceola, Georgia, and you may be thinking to yourself, or... Hey, you know what? Let's fit another one in. Maybe someone is hauling steel down on the Gulf Coast. Let's say you're around Andalusia, Alabama, headed south. Whatever the case, wherever you are listening, thank you. You may be thinking to yourself, well, isn't it the role of the offensive coordinator and ultimately the head coach to find a system and then be able to be flexible enough to tailor that system to where their best talent fits into it? You could think that and I think it's fair, I don't push back a ton on it. I guess here's the best way to sum that up and state it. If you tell me you're running a system that Justin Fields is not capable of fitting into, then you probably don't have a Justin Fields problem as much as you had a fill-in-the-blank problem. Let's call it a Jim Chaney problem or a system problem. So it's easy to look at that now. What I'm saying is I don't know that favorites were played there now. I think Kirby Smart played a favorite, but the favorite wasn't Jake Fromm. I think the favorite was just risk aversion. I mean, he went with the safest option. And my only problem with this, I started to say this sentence like five minutes ago and then got sidetracked. My biggest problem with this has never been who Smart decided to play because I think there is a valid explanation for at the time choosing Fromm over Fields. 
Now, there would not be one today, but there was one at the time. But the only thing I've ever had a problem with is the people who endorsed that at the time that now in retrospect want to crucify Kirby Smart or whoever it is for making the decision. You don't get to play that both ways. If the guy making the decision doesn't get the benefit of hindsight, then you don't get it in the way of criticism. You, If you criticized him at the beginning, that's fine. I'll listen to you. But I'm not going to listen to someone who endorsed it on a message board. And I go back and look at your history and you said, yeah, Fromm's the guy. And then four years later, you're saying, man, Kirby blew that. Field should have been the guy all along. No, if that's not the tune you were singing at the time, I'm not interested in that song from you now. But Joe, to circle back before we move on here. Yeah, I think favorites are sometimes played. I just think it's hard to diagnose when that's happening at the time. Because I'm not saying this happened with Fields, but in a broader sense, there could always be stuff going on behind the scenes that is impacting a decision, whether it's a character-related issue, an academic-related issue, a drug-related issue. Again, I'm not referring to any one situation. This is a generic statement, to be perfectly clear. If that's happening, how would we ever know it? If one quarterback has those issues and the other quarterback doesn't, and quarterback A looks to be the better guy from us watching five minutes of practice, but quarterback B gets the start, to you and I, it may look like he's playing favorites. To him, he may say, I don't have any other option. You think I have two quarterbacks. I really only have one I can play right now. So there is no choice. But you don't come out and say that in the media because the kid's 19 years old and you're not throwing him under the bus just to make you look good. You're the one paid seven and a half million dollars a year. So you're the one that just has to take the criticism or not turn on Twitter and you don't have to really worry about it. Kyle's up next. Kyle said, are there any college football playoff expansion ideas you do agree with? Uh, Easy one here, Kyle. No. N-O period. No, there aren't. You know my feelings on this. I'm not dragging down every show we do revisiting this. I will take you down a maybe a little bit different road, though. I was doing some radio hits the other day, and I got asked about this. And I started talking about the difference in philosophy and where people's hearts are at. I'm not ignorant enough to think that everyone who wants to expand the playoff hates college football. You you could love it just as much as I do. We just have differing opinions of where the sport should head and what's best for the sport. But at the end of the day, it's like if I vote on the right, you vote on the left. It's possible that we have equal love for the country. We just feel different ways about how it should be run. And in college football, it's the same way. That's not where my biggest problem lies because you and I can go eat lunch at a barbecue joint in Columbus, Georgia, and we can argue over this. Shout out always Clearview Barbecue, by the way. Look, that's not where the issue is. Here's the issue. There are people on the other side of the fence from you who love the sport like you do, but then there's another group over there that couldn't care less about the sport. And the biggest threat to college football is not people who disagree with me on playoff expansion or people who disagree with me on NIL or anything like that. To me, the biggest threat to this sport, and it was put very well by my buddy Daniel, who is from the College Football Nerds Twitter account, YouTube channel, etc. the other day, he said, man, we are letting tourists call the shots here. And he's dead on the money. I want you to imagine. Let's go back to the homeowners association we made up the other day. Not the show owners. The homeowners association. Let's just pretend we're running one. We live in a nice neighborhood. And we've saved our money. And we bought a nice house. We finally get to have those wrought iron gates outside that we always wanted. But anyway. So we're living in a nice neighborhood finally. And here comes the homeowners association meeting. Independent of what you guys feel about HOAs. Let's just. Okay. Let's set that aside. We're going to the meeting. They're serving free pigs in the blanket and mustard. And that's the kind on the toothpick, so you don't even have to get your hands greasy. Not that I mind. But we go in, we sit down, and they have a big presentation. And it's about all the changes that they're going to make to the neighborhood. And you hey, you don't like many of them, but hey, whatever, you're listening because you assume people who have lived here longer than you, they know best. And then the presentation is over, and the lights in the auditorium go on, and they say, any questions? And then the first question comes from you. And you say, yeah, uh, where are you from? 
and they say, oh, we're from Des Moines. Well, the problem is this is Nashville. What, what are you doing here? You don't live here. Oh, no, we're just tourists. Really? Well, why in the world do you have a microphone in front of your face? Just because we do. It's America. We have a right to talk. Well, yeah, you do. Um, but at this particular venue for this particular event, you don't really have a place to be talking because this is a homeowners association meeting for a neighborhood in Nashville, Tennessee. You're from Des Moines. That's Iowa. But then you think you're going to get a lot of support from the rest of the room. But the rest of the room looks at you and says, listen, Josh, yeah, technically you're right, but they're not going to shut up until we appease them. So for the sake of keeping the calm and keeping the peace around here, let's just give them what they want. Okay, maybe it'll be better for the neighborhood anyway. Let's just give them what they want. And you just you're emphatic. You got smoke coming out of your ears because they don't get it. These people don't care about the neighborhood. The changes, what you say, maybe they'll work. Whether they work or they don't, these people could walk away tomorrow and our neighborhood could turn into a mushroom cloud behind them and they just, you know, dust their hands off and they're back on their way to Iowa and they don't have to worry about it. They don't have to deal with the consequences. If you and I were to get in a fight in your kitchen, who has more to lose? Answer, you do. I don't care about your cabinets. I don't care about your pots and pans, your dining room, the glass in there, the fine china. I can break whatever I want fighting you. You have to defend yourself and your kitchen. I just have to defend myself. I can break whatever I want because I get to go home after the fight's over unless you do a real number on me. And tourism in college football is not healthy when the tourists are the ones calling the shots. And so there may be some out there who disagree with me on expansion. That's cool because if you're listening to this podcast... Chances are you love college football and we can disagree and we can have our own separate conversation. But before you and I have that conversation, what you guys on your end of the fence at least have to do is you got to look around and you got to weed out the tourists. Because there are some people among you, they're wearing masks. They aren't really who you think they are. They're posing as college football fans. They really couldn't care less whether this sport lives or dies, whether it flourishes or burns to the ground. They have an ulterior motive. Sometimes it's political, sometimes it's societal, sometimes it's financial or legal, but some of them have gotten their way into your midst and they sound like they're singing the same song you are. They're not. They're singing out of a different songbook entirely. The tune just happens to sound the same right now. But these are people looking to advance an agenda and it could be 15 different agendas, but the agenda is not what's best for college football. It's what's best for fill in the blank. And I don't think you'd like what's in the blank. This is like watching a swarm of locusts come into a fresh, green, lush field full of vegetation. And what do the locusts do? They don't care how pretty it is. They devour it. And then they move on because that's their nature. And then you yell at the locusts as they disappear. Locusts, come back here. Do you see what you just did to this field? And they look back and say, yeah, I'm a locust. That's how I roll. You should have known better. And the locust, in this case, would be right. Like I think Richard Marks once saying, you should have known better. So Kyle, to get back to your question, I don't agree with anyone making the argument about expanding the playoff. But I can agree with your motivation. The biggest disagreement I have is with people whose voices are being amplified right now, whose motivation I question. Because there's a lot of motivation out there. When, and it's not just playoff. There's a lot of motivation out there when it comes to changing the rules of the sport, when it comes to NIL, when it comes to transfer portal, and maybe when it comes to the playoff where the motivation and where it lies, that's a big issue. Don't let the tourist get the microphone in college football. That's all I'm saying. All right, we move on. David is up next. He said, on any given team, certain players have always gotten more attention. But what does it do to a locker room when some of the players are making significant money based off performance while others are not? I know ultimately it comes down to a person's individual character. 
But broadly speaking, do you think name, image, and likeness will make it harder for coaches to build a unified team? And will the spirit of college football be negatively affected if so? David, yes, it's going to be harder. I'm not going to pretend it's not going to be. Yes, the spirit individually of teams and maybe collectively with the sport of football could be impacted. It could be. I keep using those because I don't think it has to be. I mean, I think the reality is if you look at some of the bigger programs right now at Clemson, for example, Clemson's had a very good culture over there. You don't really hear a whiff of this stuff coming out of Clemson. And most of those guys have NFL aspirations. They're not all going to make it. And some of them are not going to go drafted nearly as high as the other ones. But the point is, before you ever put money into this equation, the thing you really need to understand, and some people who are older don't grasp this about a younger generation, particularly the one right now, they have been wired to treat attention as the more valuable currency than money. Not all of them, but some of them view attention. They'd rather have 200 likes on Instagram than a $20 bill. And that's just reality. So before we ever put money into the equation, ask yourself, attention's always been at the table. And some of them are getting it more than others. So at some places, you've already had this kind of problem. You've already had fractured locker rooms before money ever entered the equation. How did that happen if the limiting factor or the determining factor is money? Well, the answer is the determining factor was never money. It was attention and circling back. It's about the individual character and then the collective character of the locker room. When you want to look at the greatest, I talk about Nick Saban all the time on here. Some people said I talked about him too much. And then I looked at our video of him the other day. It did 40,000 views in the middle of May. So, yeah, I think a lot of people care. But the reason I talk about Saban is he's the greatest of all time, I think. One of the many aspects I was listening to Chip Kelly talk about this the other day that make him the greatest of all time is he manages this stuff. He's got the best players in America and the best coaches in many cases in his locker room, and they can't all get the attention. And yet he finds a way to wire his entire mentality, the entire mentality collectively, the psyche of the program singularly. So basically the entire program and everyone in it thinks like him. They all sound like him. They all talk like him when they do interviews. I want you to imagine how hard that is to do. If you, if you have kids, let's just say you're a father of two. You got a son, or you got a daughter, and they're both teenagers. How hard would it be for you to get just those two human beings to sound like you and to think like you? And then imagine they are as talented in their particular field as anyone on planet Earth. And then they go and they multiply times 40. So you got like 80 of them or even more than that, counting walk-ons. So you got like 100 of them and you don't have enough resource to give all of them what they want, which is playing time in this case. And yet you still get them to maintain composure and to collectively think the same way and sound the same way and talk the same way and carry themselves the same way and largely stay out of trouble. How are you going to accomplish that? By the way, I didn't even ask you to drop a football play. I never even asked you to call a defense. When you want to know why someone like me talks about Saban so much, I just describe the portions of his job that don't even have anything to do with football, really. That just has to do with psychology. So my feeling on this is the ones who have already figured out that aspect, when you throw money into the equation, it's going to be different, but I don't think it's going to be an infinitely greater challenge than the one they've already faced. Now, if you don't have that stuff figured out, money thrown into the mix could send your program into a tailspin. It's no different than someone who has questionable character and they're poor and then they get money thrown at them. Well, what happens to that person? Because I think you can take that metaphor and you can apply it to an entire program. If a place is already fractured and then you throw a bunch of money into it, I think it's going to become more fractured. So I think the money is going to make the program more of what it already is. You know what that does, by the way? Now that we kind of say it out loud together, what's one of the most popular phrases 
in college football right now, rich getting richer, bigger separation, bigger gap. Well, I think what I did just perfectly illustrates, if that's the way this goes, another path down which the rich get richer. In this case, it's going to be the ones who have their act together, elevate more, and the ones who don't tailspin even further. And at the end of that day, what do you have? You got a bigger gap between the ones who have it figured out and they're doing it the right way and the ones who don't and the ones who are doing it the wrong way. And people start looking back on NIL and saying, oh my goodness, this didn't level the playing field either, did it? Time marches on. Tracy Lawrence, we do too. I got a good one here. I got a couple of good ones really about what we do before a show. And then what has Lane Kiffin's career and Steve Sarkeesian's career, what have they taught us about what could be inside all of us? We'll talk about it right after this. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Let's go in reverse order of the way I teased him, because I really like this question. It's from Rach09. I think this was in the podcast review section, where, by the way, I always appreciate those five-star reviews. It's free, it takes two seconds, and it helps us out a lot. Rach says, Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian's names, they always seem to be intertwined to me because of their time at USC in the mid-2000s. Which guy had a bigger impact on college football the last 15 years? And what can we learn from each of their careers? To me, the guy who had the biggest impact is Lane Kiffin. Because Lane Kiffin was the guy, now whether he precipitated it or not, he came in and Nick Saban changed his philosophy. And that, to me, has fundamentally changed college football. Because once Alabama did it, everything changed. That is the Keystone program amongst Keystone programs. So what they do reverberates through the entire sport. There is a way that Alabama's move impacts UCLA, impacts Akron, impacts Buffalo, and everywhere in between. So Lane Kiffin comes in. And remember how that happened. He got fired at USC, and he came in during Alabama's bowl practices as kind of a consultant, and he was just hanging around. He's the guy who famously said, who's that number 27 over there? You know, the big ogre-looking running back. Who is that? Oh, his name is Derek. I think his last name's Henry. Oh, you guys should give him the ball more. And they did in that Sugar Bowl against Oklahoma. Now, they got beat, but... Henry ended up being a freight train the next year that I think won the Heisman Trophy, if I'm not mistaken. So anyway, Lane Kiffin came in there and changed everything. And I don't know that it wouldn't have happened anyway. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But I know it did happen on Lane Kiffin's watch. And I also know that was, if you're into the storyline portion of sports more than the actual on-field product, that was nirvana for you to turn on a game and watch Nick Saban interact with Lane Kiffin because it couldn't have been any more different than the way he interacted with Sark. He'd pat Sark on the cheek. I don't think he ever so much as raised his voice at him publicly the entire time when he was there at Alabama. He talked to Kiffin like a kid in detention for the third time this week. And Kiffin just sat there with the face of someone who popped a muscle relaxer or five right before Saban walked over to him. It was really incredible to watch. I remember when I was at a game, I, I can't remember who they were playing, but I was on Alabama's sideline. And I was standing right next to Saban and Kiffin. Because the, the play was all the way down in the red zone. So they're over as far as they can go inside the coaching box there on the field. Which means they're standing right next to where I am. 
and they had a short yardage situation. And so classic Lane Kiffin, you got a bunch of Mack trucks on the offensive line, you got Derrick Henry in the backfield, and you got a short yardage situation, so he goes five wide or whatever it was. And ball falls incomplete, it was a busted play. And I've never heard a human being talk to another human being like Nick Saban talk to Lane Kiffin. I felt like I needed to pull out the iJosh and open up the notepad app and just start writing down all these words I was hearing. And the combinations, the way that he wove it into a tapestry of verbal violence against Lane Kiffin, it was crazy. And I'm looking there, and as he's doing it, Kiffin's calling a play. Could have a crowbar taken to his shins at any second, and he's just calling a play. His mouth doesn't change, his facial expression doesn't change. And then second down, Alabama won like 55 to 10 or something like that. But Kiffin, as, as big a handful as he may have been elsewhere, he was money on the field. And he was money on that coaching staff. And they did not fail to win the SEC championship single year that he was there. So I think that that's the bigger impact on college football. Sark, I think, was the best coordinator Saban's ever had, though. Offense or defense. I think what, what he just did there and what they did, especially last year, was as incredible as anything I've ever seen. That was as flawless in the form of execution is anything I've ever seen offensively. So good luck to Sark at Texas. But then what have we learned from him? Well, I think we've learned the sport has lent itself to offensive guys getting a number of chances. Lane Kiffin, if he was a defensive guy, would not be given the chances that he's been given. Now, a lot of you would say if his last name wasn't Kiffin, he wouldn't be given those either. That's fine, but his last name is Kiffin. If his last name was Kiffin and he followed in the footsteps of his dad, who was a defensive guy and is a defensive guy, I don't think he would have been given the opportunities he's been given. Same with Sark. I think if Steve Sarkeesian was a linebacker specialist, he wouldn't be given the opportunities after falling that he's been given. But because those guys can get it done on the side of the ball that wins in this sport now, they're given ample opportunities. So the sport kind of came to them because there have been times in the past. It's not like it's not like public mistake is anything new. It's not like guys going through public hardship or failing publicly is anything new. It's just that if it were to happen in 1984, maybe these guys don't get the same opportunities that they've gotten now that it's happening in modern college football when the sport has happened to shift simultaneous right towards their wheelhouse. And when it shifts to your wheelhouse and you can get it done the way they can get it done, you're going to get opportunity to do it. Here's a good one from Franklin. Franklin says, I was wondering if you guys have a pre-show tradition for late kick, like maybe a song or some ritual. Do you do anything to start the show? Yes, we do, Daniel. Here's what happens. Since there is no one allowed in our building still, aside from me and Director Emeritus Colin, what we do is we go in there and get everything ready. Now, I'll be in there several hours beforehand. But when Colin comes in, we will go in, make sure everything's good. We'll do some sound checks, mic checks. We'll make sure everything's focused, white balanced, everything. And then we will proceed to play a pretty serious game of trash can basketball out there right in the middle of the cubicles. And that'll go on until we get a call from Connecticut saying, uh, where are you guys at? And then we'll realize, oh, it's 10 minutes to showtime. And so then we'll get things ready. But that's what we do before late kick. Now, back in the day, this reminded me, since you mentioned a song, this reminded me back when I was at WLTZ down in Columbus. And I worked mornings for a long time. But before that, I worked the afternoon and night shift. So what we would do is I was sports director and then became news anchor there. But we had a 6 p.m. news. Then we had a 10 p.m. news. Then we had an 11 p.m. news. So from that 1030 to about 1055 part of a night, you had a little bit of free time, you know, untie your tie, get your drink of water, and then you got to go right back out on set. Well, what we did on Friday night is we instituted this ritual right there in the studio. At 10.33 p.m., everybody goes quiet, 
you're not allowed to talk. So we'd have some of the on-air talent in there, some of the production assistants, sometimes the director and audio folks would come in there. And we would put on the song Holding Back the Years by Simply Red. It's a really good song. And it's one of those songs where you heard it, but you hadn't heard it in a long time. And when someone plays it, you go, oh, man, I love that song. I hadn't heard this in forever. So Holding Back the Years by Simply Red would play. It's like a four-minute, four-and-a-half-minute song. It's nothing special, at least in terms of length. But you were not allowed to talk. No one's allowed to talk. And you just sit there and reflect on your week. You're about to head into the weekend. You just knock down another week. In some cases, you're closer to the end of your contract or maybe closer to vacation. At the very least, you're just closer to going home that night. But it started off as just kind of a fun joke. It evolved into the most looked forward to decompression session of everyone's week emotionally. And you just sit there. I got videos of it on the iJosh. We would just sit there in silence. And that song would play. It's got some nice saxophone in it. Good piano, good harmony, really great voice, like a very unique voice for Simply Red. Anyway, so we would listen to it, and then your mind would be clear, and then everyone could talk again. But sometimes we'd get a new production assistant on staff, and they'd come out there at about 1034. Songs already playing, and they didn't know any better, so it was really uncomfortable for them. They thought they were being hazed. You know, they thought it was part of some initiation practice. And so they'd talk, and it would get ugly quick, because we took it seriously. Once we instituted the rules, we took it seriously. No one talks. And man, I remember, I'm not going to mention names, but very famously, a couple of production assistants, they, they ended up getting initiated, but we didn't mean for it to happen. They just did. But then they learned, and then they ended up taking part in the hazing of future PAs who came in there and broke the code of silence. I mean, it's four and a half minutes in a whole week. It's not that much to ask. But simply read, holding back the years between the 10 p.m. newscast and the 11 p.m. newscast, that's probably been my favorite pre-show ritual that I've ever had at any stop. Let's get one more in from Noah here. Noah said, do you think NIL could potentially stop some of the bowl game opt-outs we're seeing? No, I don't, know. I don't think NIL is going to do a thing to stop opt-outs because the guys who presumably would be standing in line to gain the most from NIL would already be headed to the NFL, and therefore, at that point, it would kind of be irrelevant. And secondly, let's say you're talking about a true freshman. Well, a true freshman is going to get his NIL money whether or whether or not he plays in the bowl game because an advertiser that he strikes an endorsement deal with is not going to say, we're only going to give you this money from you know fill-in-the-blank auto service if you play in your bowl game. So no, I don't think it's going to do it at all, Noah. I've told you, once the toothpaste is out of the tube, you're not putting it back in. What I think that we should explore doing for bowl season to make sure that relevance remains in bowl season and to make sure everyone wants to participate is I think you got to tie in revenue sharing packages. This would not be my initial idea. Again, mind you, I'm saying given where we are now and given that this push for the playoff and build everything around the playoff has made a lot of people think these games are meaningless, which you were warned would happen. Now the way to get them back involved in it and to make sure that the passion's there and the willingness and eagerness to play in the game is there is you got to have incentive. That's the only way. You have to incentivize playing. And since you've told them the games are otherwise meaningless, natural passion's not going to be the incentive. So now you got to incentivize them the same way you get incentivized to get up and go to work every morning. And that's money. And this would be different. You would have to treat bowl season as different than the regular season. But I would be a big, big fan now of, let's say, the Gator Bowl taking its bowl package and its TV money and the revenue that is brought in from gate and everything else and create a pool. And let's say out of 100% of that revenue sharing pool, 75% of it goes to the winning team, 25% goes to the losing team. Now, what this does is once your team is in the game, you're guaranteed to get some money. And so 
Players who play are guaranteed to get some money. That's one of the keys. You can't opt out and still get the money. So you got to be in the game. And then secondly, you're incentivized to win because you get way more money if you win than if you lose. So that's the way I'd like to see it done. Now, NIL is not going to be what helps that. The ability to distribute revenue sharing from a bowl game, that's probably what would be more likely to at least cut into opt-outs. A lot of people think expanding the playoffs is going to do that. Long-term, I think you're going to find it's not. I know it's very hard to believe right now, and some of you are going to have to see that, and I've already talked about that. But that's the way I would go. Revenue sharing in bowl games that aren't already part of the playoff, however big it ends up being. All right, i got to go get ready for Late Kick Live tonight. Really good traffic. I told you the other day, I think I said we were averaging 1,000 extra downloads a month. I was wrong about that. We're averaging over 1,000 extra downloads per episode throughout the last month. And that is what really stands out. Because this is the time of year that people tell you in the industry your audience is supposed to decline. Ours hasn't. And I think I was talking to a buddy the other night on the phone. I think it's tied directly into a lot of you adopting the idea that I've kind of thrown out there about the off-season not existing. We don't do the off-season around here. And I told you the whole time, that's not a marketing slogan. I'm not going to cut back on our production. We're not going to cut back on the amount of content we're putting out. So we believe in that. But the funny thing about it is somewhere along the way, every single one of you jumped on board too. And so you haven't tuned out. I appreciate it. I can assure you the company appreciates it, but I appreciate it too. Because here's what it makes people say. Wait a second. If those people are still here this time of year, imagine with a full season, an uninterrupted season coming up. It's not an election year anymore. No one's distracted. Imagine what that late kick show, what that thing could do in the fall. And then I look at them and I wink at them. And then I go right back to my studio, turn the microphone on, and we just keep on going. So that's the path we're on right now. I appreciate that. At Late Kick Josh, hit up that Instagram, Twitter, joshpate706 at gmail.com if you want to submit a question or book a Zoom consultation. I'm sending this off to producer Jordan to get this thing out for you. I'll talk to you later tonight on Late Kick Live. Have a great rest of your day, and God bless. Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!